Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of Comics and Kaijus. I am your boy, Matthew Quarter J. Sterling. Joining me today is Cameron Miller and Austin Albin. How are you guys doing? Doing fantastic, man. Great night so far. Ready to get into this really cool uh, movie that we're going to talk about. Absolutely, man. I feel like it was a great choice this time. Austin, how are you doing, bro? Doing good. Back, I'm, dude, I'm, I'm happy to be back at full strength with the boys. We got everyone the episode, which I'm happy about. This is, this is, this is the boys here. It's going to be a boys night. Guys, got a banger episode here. Great choice from both of you. Both of you picked absolute great ones. And I'm not even going to remotely try to come in here with any sort of credit being taken here because I just got handed a fucking list and got told this is it. And all I could go was go hot damn. We got some <laughs> and sure as shit. We did. Kudos. Well, to- well you're welcome, man. I, I was definitely blown away by the uh, movie selection and the comic selection for this one. Uh, we tackled Ghidorah, the three headed monster, 1964. Austin, take it away, man. Yeah. We uh we tackled probably one of the more it, more influential Godzilla films in the earlier Showa eras. Uh, Ghidorah is Godzilla's big baddie. If you want to talk about you know who is the Joker to Godzilla's Batman. This is it. Ghidorah is the man. Cameron, give me a little more details about what makes Ghidorah this big baddie. Why is he so bad? Well, they really build him up as this planet destroyer. He wipes out civilizations throughout the galaxy. Um, In this, you find out that there was actually an advanced civilization on Venus. And Ghidorah came by and said, fuck this planet and killed everybody. Um, and those who survived fled to Earth and they interbred with uh, the humans. So he basically flies around the galaxy, destroying civilizations with no real reason. It's just out of pure evil. Um, so we're not really supposed to feel any remorse or, uh, d- yeah, basically any remorse for this character. He's basically pure evil. I, I gotta say that that's probably what makes him stand out far beyond any of the other uh, Godzilla antagonists that we come into in later in the Kaiju films. That honestly just makes him really stand a, a, a kind of head and shoulders above everybody else. And if I got to throw my hat in there with thinking of who else would have been Godzilla's biggest adversary, I mean, it would, I would, it would probably have to be Mecha Godzilla at that point. The only other person mm-hmm. that's ever been able to stand toe to toe with him is Mecha Godzilla, but that's because it's obviously a mirror image. But Ghidorah was just so original and so fresh that it, it really brought a fresh light into this film and i gotta say that we see a lot of returning faces not only in the human actors but also in our kaijus we have not seen rodan or mothra in a long time haven't heard from them now uh rodan is back again uh first time in the godzilla universe and first time returning since his original debut in his film rodan um the suit not looking too hot <laughs> um but it's still it's not the worst design i've seen um the 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 updated rodan it's a little it's made to be a little bit lighter for the actor to move around in because you're fighting another monster um as of uh in the first film he wasn't doing that he was just basically getting shot at so they didn't really need a whole lot of articulation in the suit we actually discussed you and me actually when we were watching that this Rodan is one that we are actually going to be seeing in at least one to two other Godzilla films as this suit is going to be a recycled one for a little while. Yes, we're going to see this one in the next Godzilla film, uh, Invasion of the Astro Monster, and then we will also see him in 
destroy all monsters. Uh, we see him in like cameo appearances and I think a couple other films, but it's nothing really of mention. Uh, so Evasion of the Astro Monster and the Destroy All Monsters, those are the two other times we'll see the suit. And by Destroy All Monsters, it does not look too good. Yeah. Quick shout out to the boy Brody Kane joining us on this episode, bro. Thanks Hell for yeah. thanks for hey, us, man. Stopping by, Brody. Welcome to it, my man. Glad to have Favorite you around. Aussie. Let's go. <laughs> I, uh, I also got to say, uh, we get to see Mothra back at it. We have, I mean, granted, this is a this is a larva to Mothra that we never get to see fully be Mothra again. And I'm pretty sure di- we discussed this in an episode later that this is one of the only other times we get to see Mothra in the earlier show of films, along with Godzilla helping him. But we don't get to see her in her full glory. No, we don't, which is kind of disappointing. Um, so it's explained because if you remember from Mothra versus Godzilla, there were two Mothra larvae at the end of the film. Um, the twin fairies or the Shobijin, they explain that. <laughs> Mothra the- calling Cameron out here. All about that Mothra porn. <laughs> I'm never gonna win. I'm never gonna win. Never gonna win, no. bro. I'm never gonna win. It's gonna be Mothra porn until the very end of this podcast. <laughs> My boy is drowning in the mussy bless. Okay. Yes, he is. Yes, he bless. is. Anyways, anyways, anyways. Uh, yes. So the twin fairies they explain that um, one of the Mothra larvae passed away. They don't explain how. They just say he did. So. A little disappointing. Um, it ri- originally in the script, uh, there was going to be a Mothra larva adult or a Mothra adult, my bad, um, and a Mothra larva. But the special effects crew agreed that it'd be too much of a hassle to deal with Rodan flying in the air and all the wires that are used to control Ghidorah, which I believe are like 26 piano wires. Uh, to control uh, Ghidorah's head and tail. So it'd be a pain in the ass to deal with. It definitely was a lot to see when uh, Ghidorah first showed up on uh, on film. Is My goodness, at the amount of just different moving parts that this suit has, it's actually insane that there was never a moment where it was like Godzilla, you know, where he's kind of just, you can tell where the person is in the suit. You, know, you can see the hands moving the head and the feet and the body motion and the language, but Ghidorah, it was never a moment of just sitting fucking still. It was a constant, you know, wiggle, a constant twitch, a constant, it's just those wires going to work on top. He's always moving, always moving, um, which it looks a bit silly, but I find the the waving of the heads pretty cool. Um, it it gives Ghidorah his own personality. Um, he's kind of I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. I guess uh, hyper. I guess he kind of more animalistic, very more animalistic, like sadistic. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Moving around a lot. He's always constantly shooting his gravity beams. Um, He's never out of direction unless he's specifically going after Godzilla, but he just, he's whipping those things everywhere. Uh, Yeah. yeah, Trying to cause as much mayhem. Yeah. Trying to cause as much destruction and mayhem as physically possible. Exactly. um, Which is why he's here. Uh, So I want to talk about the suit itself. The Ghidorah Um, suit, correct? Yes. The Ghidorah suit. Yeah. Yeah. So for 
people that don't know, um, a lot of people will know the design of Ghidorah, even though they've never actually seen a Godzilla movie. Very um, iconic. Very hard to mistake. Very iconic design. Um, basically, it's a giant dragon that has three heads and two tails. It's a very – no arms either. It's a very weird-looking design, um, but it works. It just works. Um, originally, the – suit was in a lot of promotional and uh oh tj colin cameron out <laughs> double, double chin let's go <laughs> jan miller saying good stuff guys thank you jan welcome boy um, welcome yes so the door suit was originally supposed to be and it had a blue body blue neck um and then it had these wings that would go from Blue to white to red, which is very, very I, different than I the can't gold even suit. imagine thinking of Ghidorah as any color than just his gold. I just yeah. thinking of him in those colors just seems so wild because it's such an iconic look that everybody knows um, in uh, popular media. But originally there was that design, but I there's a lot of different theories on why. They changed it. Um, some reasons were it didn't really look that great. Um, others were that it kind of blended in with the background, the matte painting backgrounds in the sky, mm -hmm. um, which that's probably the reason. Um, and then the special TJ with a message. Oh, well, we got, we got Jan's approval. That's a major milestone for a louder podcast. She's an avid listener to our content. Well, thank you, Jan. That means a lot to us. Hey, absolutely. We're here to break barriers and we're here to make the, make it make a splash. And that's just a big milestone for us to say moving forward. So mm -hmm. let's get oh, it. That, definitely. Oh, Brody, Brody, why you gotta why you gotta do that to me, bro? That's gonna be looking like a Jeffrey Dahmer crime scene. Bro, I'm sorry, man. My bed. It's just Matt, it's make your bed. All right. You fucking hey, nasty. You fucking nasty. Look, man, animal. I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hey, I had time to wash my sheets and make my bed. Well, you know, I, I just I just got off work. All right. No excuse. <laughs> Jan saying loving that we're doing our research. Well, thank you. We, we take pride in it. We take we want to make sure that everyone is educated on everything we talk about. And we want to make sure that everyone knows that we know what we're talking about. We're not here just spewing bullshit. Absolutely. So, yeah. Kim, give me a little more detail here on Ghidorah about these color schemes. Would you think that this would probably be the reason they were going so crazy with this was because this was the sixties that this could have just been a little more of them going outside the box of that normal color scheme that they went with prior because of how most of the Godzilla films are very monotone in the color yeah. schemes. So basically the original, well, what uh, EJ Subaraya favored originally was the suit to be a crimson color, which also mm. stands out. Um, which wouldn't be a bad look. Crimson Ghidorah uh, sounds kind of badass. I'm not gonna lie, but the uh, the the effects team decided to go with gold um, because they've decided that uh, that would look best on screen. I uh, think gold also looks better for his name for King Ghidorah. King yeah. being very regal and very royal, having that gold scaling just really puts him a bit ahead of head and shoulders up there. 
Ghidorah is OP in King of the Monsters. Absolutely. Yes, he is. He's very <laughs> OP in that. Especially um, with the instant head regeneration. Yeah, that's a bit. <laughs> that's a bit. I mean, you got three monsters or three heads and you can just pop one back up. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> no problem, bro. It ain't yeah, nothing but a this thing. This suit was a pain in the ass to deal with. Um, it looks like. As, yeah. So. 10 people were required to operate this fucking monstrosity. Um, and they operated him using the piano wire to move the heads, the tail, and the uh, the wings. Uh, but the problem was, when you're constantly moving that shit around, it gets tangled a lot. So imagine all the retakes that they had to do, because it would always get tangled within the other heads or the scales. Uh, and Haru Nakajima, the guy who played in the Godzilla suit, he basically described the fight scenes as like pointless and they were basically a solo shoot for him because the other actor in the Ghidorah suit couldn't really do anything. He had no real way of seeing um, and it's very hard to move such a bulky suit like that when other people are controlling you from above. Uh, so there were a lot of retakes. One thing that I that you can kind of tell in this film that uh, Godzilla is way more animated and with that information coming right here that honestly explains why he is he's very animated in this film like he he moves a lot he's he his mouth is moving a lot his body is very active his tail is moving a lot he's very you know uh lively in his motions instead of you know usually we get a very slow moving and lumbering godzilla to kind of give that sense of scale with the uh you know, with the films and the way the directing goes in the filmography and <clears throat> in the cinematography. I mean, my apologies, but yeah, no, that so, explains a lot. Yeah. So basically I, there was Mothra versus Godzilla came out earlier this uh, same year in April. Um, I like to describe there's three different eras of the show with Godzilla. There's the evil version. Then there's the, uh, I'm going to call it the transition phase. And then you have the good savior, of the earth version. Um, and this is the beginning of his transition into becoming uh, a savior of earth, a good guy um, and starting to be directed more towards uh, children. Um, and his body language shows the certain scenes show it's very cartoonish in some scenes like Godzilla getting shot in the ass and the dick with Dora's <laughs> gravity beams. <laughs> um, the the scene where Godzilla, Mothra, and Rodan they all talk back and forth, which is still very odd to watch. Um, and then you also have the scene where Mothra and Rodan they laugh at each other after they both get hit by Mothra's uh, silk attack. So uh, another the- thing I noticed in the fight scenes, especially with uh, the era of him being in the more heroic things, he in the earlier films, he fought very animalistic, very dirty, did whatever he could to win. But in this film, he does a lot of uh, we actually just had this discussion about the difference between the Showa and the Hisei era and the way the fighting styles go. The Showa yeah. era was very wrestle, like very like professional wrestling. I, I refer Yeah, very, very wrestling sumo-esque. And then you have your Heisei era, which is I call it the beam attack era. Yeah. Godzilla straight up body slammed fucking Rodan when he got his hands on it. I mean, straight up suplexed him. And Rodan, it looked like a wrestling. Rodan also did the same to him earlier. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> Rodan basically flies at Godzilla at full speed 
clothesline. Godzilla goes, he fucking fly, does a flip in the air and falls on his ass. It's, uh, it's interesting. And you're bringing up the whole uh, transitioning of him going into like, like not even like anti-hero because that's more that he's there. He's more of this anti-hero that's still, you know, a force of nature in that. Exactly. One. Yeah. And then here you can definitely see that transition of becoming more of this figure for Japan to market towards uh, children and younger adults. And it shows from here on out, you'll notice in the in the films we do here in the future, you're going to see that transition be more and more predominant. And yeah, honestly, it, it, by the time you get to Megalon, it's, it's basically full blown kitchen. Yeah. And you'll get to Son of Godzilla and then you get to fucking Godzilla's Revenge, which I really don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, we're going to get there. Dude, you're, for, you're forgetting Terror of the Deep, my guy. Listen, I... I Godzilla I'll... fights a giant lobster. It exists. <laughs> At least that is a bit more entertaining than Godzilla's Revenge. I mean, maybe. <laughs> no, no. When we get to that film, you're going to be like, uh, yeah, no. Look, but, I'm, uh, just here, I'm just here for the ride on this Godzilla slash Kaiju <laughs> hype train that you guys are building up. But Godzilla versus a fucking lobster, that sounds so fucking cool. It's like, hype as fuck. It's hype as fuck. All right, look. Everybody here knows that, like, Kaiju's not my strong suit. It's the comic part that I, like, absolutely dominate, dude. But just seeing, like, or not really seeing, but, like, hearing the way you guys are talking about, like, these future movies that we're going to see down the road, bro. It has me so fucking hyped to just dive deep with you boys on this, dude. Hey, man, that's what we're here for, <laughs> and that's what we're doing. We want these deep dives. That's why we have, we literally have the kaiju genie himself over here that has all mm-hmm. this information waiting in the back lines for us. And, you know, we want this information for everyone to have. So we're not only educating, but we're also here to entertain it. Absolutely. So, but this, you know, all these movies we got planned, it means we're going to have to have a new schedule about all this. Speaking of new schedule, me and TJ worked very hard designing a new schedule. Comics and Kaiju will be coming out every single Sunday. Ooh, that sounds great. It's going to be an episodic weekly episode, my dude. It's going to be everything. Speaking of, I'm going to give you a little teaser on what we will be covering next week. Next week. uh, On the 24th, we are covering Gamera. I hope I'm saying that right. The Giant yep. Monster, 1965, and Hellboy, Volume 1, Seed of Destruction. I love my Hellboy. boy Hellboy. I'm so love fucking pumped Hellboy. to do Hellboy. I know it's going to be so great. Okay, okay, so hold we'll on. Another origin. I'm pausing this statement before it goes any further because this has to be established. What's this? Next is Thank you, Brody. Hellboy. Is the new movie okay? Is this that taboo? We will get into that take next week. <laughs> we will. I, I'm just going to throw this out there. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. I'm not a Ron Perlman purist. It's good if you don't compare it to Ron Perlman. That's all I need to know. I know where we stand. And we can <laughs> move forward to that conversation for next week. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, Brody calling me out for the next week. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, next week, bro. <laughs> next week, bro. We'll be covering it. <laughs> Promise. This would be a running joke now. Mothra porn in next week. Next week, Mothra porn. TJ, we need a shirt next week. <laughs> next week, bro. Hopefully our merch comes in next week. <laughs> Thank you, Brody. Thank you for the defense on the new Hellboy. I 
Like I said, next week that will be an entire argument on its own, an entire discussion on its own. But as for right now, I I personally involved. I'm going to be completely honest. I didn't see it. Um, I just didn't have any interest in seeing double, it. Double, double. So, one so what I'm hearing like is what I'm hearing double, is Austin. Yeah, watch are we having another watch party? Because double watch party. I'm done. I mean, that's I mean, I, it's that's not like I pre-ordered the movie on YouTube when it came out or anything. Did you really? <laughs> what? I think I have a digital copy of it. No, I actually bought the, I pre-ordered the film when it came out on YouTube. I went and saw it in theaters and That's then I amazing. bought the film digitally. I, I, loved it. I loved, I liked it. It was fun. It was fun. It was a fun film, but it was definitely movie, enjoyable. A lot more comedic. Absolutely. But yes, let's continue. Moving back on to here to Dora and uh, it, going more deeper into this film and kind of explaining a bit more about this. We, we, we got into the meat of Ghidorah and we've talked a little bit about uh, Mothra returning, but we haven't talked about the main man himself, Godzilla, returning here in this film. I'm going to keep it hundred. He's looking a bit, he looking a bit scruffed. Yeah. I ain't going to lie. He looking a bit scruffed. So, Basically, it's the same suit from Mothra vs. Godzilla. The body's the same, but the head got too damaged during filming of Mothra vs. Godzilla that they had to replace it. Um, and it's kind of a really bad uh, repair job. Um, not the best looking, especially the puppet scenes where it's just his head... Ugh. The head is just... He's gross. looking a bit rough around the edges. He's looking bad. I mean, people... I'm not saying don't watch this film, but I am definitely telling you don't go into it with, you know, expecting Godzilla to look immaculate here because he's he's looking a bit worse for wear. Yeah, Haru Nakajima still plays the character with such fucking style, and I love it. That's... He does such a phenomenal job. He loves doing this role, and you can tell by his body movements. He loves being in this role. Um, he's very energetic about it. Um, so, yeah. The Godzilla suit, not looking too hot. Um, they do replace it in the next film uh, with a much better looking suit, in my opinion. Uh, the Which one's the next one canologically after this one? Invasion of the Astro Monster. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it is Invasion. Yeah, that's when they have the... Uh... The whole you know dance thing, yeah. Okay, no, I was trying to I'm trying to remember the suit in my head, and that's what I think of immediately when I think of Astro Monster. It's like he does a little dancey dance. He does a little, little dancey dance. He does his little dancey dance. Little guy's little dancey dance. But uh, I gotta say that you know, regardless of the suits, we still have some pretty, honestly, some fairly solid looking special practical special effects. Once again, in this film. yeah. So I like to describe this as like prime like show up Godzilla. Like this is, this is where the Royal Godzilla monster rumble starts right here where you have a bunch of monsters and they're fucking duking it out. And it's awesome. It's so entertaining. Yes. The effects are not the best, but there's some parts where the effects are pretty decent. A lot of the destruction scenes look very good. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very pleasing to the eye, but it's, it's such good fun. Um, this is another film I would, I would recommend getting a bunch of your boys together, sitting down and watching this cracking jokes, drink a beer, have a fucking grand time. Oh yeah, for sure. This, this is definitely golden age show of Godzilla for sure. And it, 
I th- I would definitely say that Godzilla versus King Kong set the precedence for the for, for the Godzilla fights that it came along afterwards. You kind of got a taste for it, but then you like you said the Royal Rumble of Kaiju's is coming, and this is only the precipice of that. Because we go further down these lines in these Godzilla films, the fights become way more predominant, and it's not as much destruction. It's more kaiju fighting, and it's way more you know center stage instead of it being kind of more like destruction blended in with fighting. It's way more focused on fighting instead, which is yeah. not a bad. So I believe Invasion of the Astro Monster, which we will get to uh, next week. Uh, you do see a lot of uh, destruction in it. You see a lot of uh, buildings getting destroyed when the monsters are under my control. But I'm not going to dive too deep into that. I don't want to go off track. But uh, you you do see a lot of destruction. I think that the actually last time you see a lot of destruction is in Destroy All Monsters. Um, other than that, it's a lot of just monsters duking it out um either way it's great fun it's awesome i agree i think the film did a good job here of kind of getting that that starting point for us and i'm gonna be 100 percent honest with it when it comes to this film i don't really watch this movie in sense of the set of the human subplot that's happening that we're supposed to be paying attention to because in all honesty it, it's fine. I feel like the like I know me and you have personally had this discussion where I feel like the Hisei era subplots had a little bit more, you know, meat and girth to them that I could really latch yeah. onto. This you can really sense that it's more focused on the kaiju's. It wants you to focus more on the kaiju's, but the subplot is trying to, you know, keep things relevant. But it, in, in all honesty, the characters, once again, the, we're seeing returning actors coming back for roles, not same characters, but same actors in the the story itself is just a little bit lacking and honestly kind of forgettable. The human action is kind of funny in, in a sense. It's not trying to be, but it is comical until we get back to the kaijus and seeing more front center stage. Yeah. So one of the big pluses that the Heisei era has. TJ's over- saying most of us rely on girth anyway. True. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, big difference between the Heisei era and the Showa era is the Heisei era has a canonical story going on. So it's something that links all together and you want to see the next piece of the story. And it actually affects the story. Mm. It's not like, for example, in this movie, there's this assassin subplot between royalties and it doesn't really do anything. It's just there. Um, Now, you do have the the princess. She, I guess, is under mind control of the Venusians, um, and she's there to warn the people about Ghidorah coming to planet Earth to destroy all humanity. Um, but it doesn't really affect anything. Sure, a lot of people blow her off as like, oh, crazy person, whatever. Um, but she doesn't affect the plot uh, directly. I would say that, you know, that that's probably one of the things that I would say the Hisa era does really well. And what makes it a little more entertaining than the Showa era, not taking anything away from the Showa era films as they are 
the the wonder years, the beginning years, the stepping stone years of Godzilla in the kaiju era in Toho. But the Hisei era perfected its storytelling, making the story more linear and making more of a chronicle of things happening. And this is a little bit more episodic. And it's like these little one and done, bam, bam, the story is over with. We don't see it again. We don't mess with it again. We may see the same kaiju, but it it's like their purpose is completely different. Di- differentiated from what it originally was when we saw them the first time. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, older Godzilla fans that grew up watching these that they believe that the Showa era is the golden era of Godzilla. Um, and that's all up to personal preference. If you like if you like cheesy effects, if you like to see clearly rubber suits and you want to see a bunch of monsters like just wrestling the show air is for you this is what you want to see um i personally don't believe there is a golden era i i think the hesa era is probably one of the best but i like to pick movies here and there from different eras and be like this is these are the best films just like we said earlier today, I feel like the Hisa era has a lot more bangers to it. And the the time granted the time frame of the Showa era is the longest era of Godzilla films. And the Hisa era has it has a good chunk of films. And and it's a little unfair to compare all of these other films to the smaller portion serving size, but this the, the Hisa era was definitely more quality over quantity that mm-hmm. came through. But that's you know a whole nother story on its own. Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of stuff to unpack when you're breaking down something as large as the Godzilla franchise. Um, so, yeah, basically, this I would I would recommend the show series to younger audiences. Absolutely. Um, if you have a young kid that's like five years old, pop in Son of Godzilla. I guarantee the kids are going to fucking love that shit. That or Megalon. Godzilla that or Megalon. Both are just, they hook. They hook. And they're perfect for kids to start. Yeah, there's a lot of really good Godzilla films that are in the show era that are perfect for kids to get them hooked. Um, I didn't really grow up with the show era. I grew up with the Millennium and the Heisei era. Is it weird that I got hooked by watching the original Gojira? No, actually, I think <laughs> that was that was what hooked me. I had it on VHS. So coming from now, did you see the original Japanese or did you now, see the, I saw Godzilla King of the Monsters now, so which I know. American yeah, version. but I really got hooked when I saw Gojira when it finally got released because, you know, I watched all the other films, but I was a kid. You know, so I'm watching them all and I'm taking it all in. But when I got older and I watched Gojira for the very first time in like the early 2000s when we finally got the official Gojira release on DVD. Yeah. That's what really, cause I was like, so this is what it was meant to be. This was what the film was meant to be and the message it was trying to receive. I love the old, but that is just, it, it's a whole nother I, tone. I don't really remember my first Godzilla film. I believe it was one of the millennium era Godzilla films. I want to say it was final wars. Actually, it was actually, I think it was the 1998 Matthew Broderick version. That was um, a lot of people's. That was a lot really of people's was. first introduction. And I was mm-hmm. like, giant monsters? Hell yeah, I'm in for that shit. And I wanted to seek out more of that. 
A lot um, of people watched that movie not knowing anything about Godzilla. So when they saw it, they liked it. But then when they realized that Godzilla was so much more than that, that's what got a lot of people's interest. Yeah. Um, I do remember seeing the original uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters on television at my grandparents' house. And then after that played them. Also another really good film. Very much so. Uh and I remember watching that, and I was like, this is awesome. It's black and white. I should hate this, but this is awesome. <laughs> um, and then it's kind of spiraled out of control from that point on. Yeah, it's I, it's been a ride for me with Godzilla. It's been – I grew up on a lot, and once I got older, I rewatched the stuff that I watched when I was younger and realized how much more of a different message that I – obviously didn't see as a kid to give you an example of how mindlessly I watched Godzilla. I have a very specific memory, a very specific memory that I'm probably going to have flashbacks about when we finally catch the movie. I remember it was a Sunday afternoon. I had just gotten in from church with my family and I was laying on my bed, eating a box like a, like I physically had the box. I wasn't like, you know, like going to the kitchen and grabbing it. I brought a box of cosmic brownies in my room oh, and I was just, Dude, so good. <laughs> I'm just I'm hogging these things down, watching Godzilla versus Mega Godzilla with no remorse, <laughs> no remorse. Those things had no mercy on them, and I just <laughs> and I was in bliss, enjoying a Godzilla film, eating cosmic brownies, and enjoying a good movie, and that's all I cared about. And that's that's what Godzilla is all about. Yeah, a, God, especially the show era of Godzilla. It's such a it's such a laid back era of godzilla it is you can pop in any godzilla film and just sit back and enjoy it hell i would even recommend you pop in some fucking godzilla versus hetera drops of lsd and you'll have the fucking time Dude, i can't life, man. i can't wait to get to that film because holy <laughs> fuck that's gonna be a breakdown that matt just buckle your fucking seatbelt for that one because that's that's a ride and that, yeah, oh, that's, that's a fucking trip of a movie. Then I can't wait for it, man. This sounds like it's going to be a blast. Well, we've been talking <laughs> a lot here. Me and Cam have been going back and forth about this yeah. film. I, Matt, I got to ask you. I mean, we're not to our grading point yet, but I got to ask yeah. you, like, so far in this, you know, in this film, how, how are your thoughts on it? Did you enjoy so, it as a casual fan coming in? I mean, as a casual fan coming into the uh, kaiju kind of hype or fandom that's kind of building up, uh, there was a lot more uh, human drama in this than in the past because in the in the previous movies that we've reviewed, it's more human politics that gets like reviewed or like represented in it. In this, there was a lot of human drama kind of going back and forth, not just politics, but also just human drama in general. And I thought it was it was kind of like a weird twist to it. Uh, I did like that. Because me going into this, I didn't expect there to be so many monsters. I figured it was just uh, Ghidorah versus Godzilla. Like I thought that was, I thought that was it. I didn't expect to see Rodan. I didn't expect to see Mothra. I wish Mothra would have been like full strength, you know, transformation type thing. You know, this isn't even my final form type bullshit. You know, but I did like that it kind of gave us more of more representation of her larva form. And how she could stand toe-to-toe with some of them, even in her larva form and not even full strength. Uh, I did like the fight scenes in this. 
they were a lot nicer than the King Kong versus Godzilla just kind of hey, I'm going to hug you type fighting <laughs> or the one good drop kick that was in. Um, I did really enjoy the way Ghidorah looked. I loved the gold scales going on. Uh, just what I really, because I am a casual fan going into it, the, the thing that I was waiting for the most was the fighting. And like with most, you know, the rampage slash fighting happens towards the end of the movie. Everything else is just build up the human politics stuff getting thrown in and everything. But once it got to the fighting, I was not let down in this. It was so, so good. Like just the, the mashup of all the different characters and their different fighting styles and then fighting each other. And then the, like even the translations where they were sitting there talking, like it all made sense. And it was just formatted in a way that didn't take away from the hype of watching them fight because they went from talking to, okay, we should team up to fighting Ghidorah. And it was great. Like I, I really enjoyed this. This is probably my favorite Kaiju film that we've reviewed so far and we've watched King Kong. So just dropping that there. Okay. <laughs> hot take, man. Very hot take for That's sure. Very hot take. Also shout out to Jan Miller again, giving us some love. I have to, I have to leave now. I got to pick up some headphones. Thanks so much for this episode. Good stuff. Thank you, Jan Miller. Absolutely. Thanks for stopping yeah, by. Man. And this episode will be out soon. So you'll be able to hear every bit of it, all of it in its glory. And with TJ's beautiful editing, our voices will be crisper than ever. Godly. Absolutely. Godly. Such a great guy. But yeah, so, no, I, I really enjoyed this movie. That's good. I'm I'm glad you're enjoying the kaiju ride with us because I know you, we've been enjoying the comics. You've been you've been throwing our way, and I mean I'm a little bit traversed on both sides. And I know Cam's getting a lot of new exposure to himself, yes. which is a wonderful. Oh yeah. One. Oh, I, I love showing these to new people. And honestly, I gotta admit, bro, like just these last few episodes where we've done video episodes, it's it's really enjoyable to see Cameron's face just kind of light up as we talk about like some of these fucking like badass scenes in these comics or just stuff in general about comics and him being like you know what this isn't as lame as i thought it might have been you know and i'm sure yeah. you guys get the same experience when we do the watch party and i'm like bro this is this is legit this is awesome Which, actually i'm gonna be really excited to talk about um this comic because i personally thought it was gonna be ass because I'm not a vision guy at all. Me, me and Cam had this conversation earlier. So this is going to be an interesting. <laughs> I'm not segment. a vision guy. And I'm this like, really is. is. But hey, <laughs> I will boring. always, I will always say this, and it's something I stand true with. There is one thing in this world that is the most entertaining thing is that is listening to someone or watching someone talk about something they love. Because oh, dude, there's passion that can't be matched. Absolutely. So I will also say this film, granted not being some of the better show of films, is a good one. It it proved you know beneficial in the box office. It made its money back. Uh, I know we didn't get an exact budget on that, which you know it, it happened. These budgets are mixed. Yeah. But Cam, what did you find for me? Anything on budget? Nothing on budget. I looked around a lot. I couldn't find anything, and I don't really trust Wikipedia. Eh. Yeah, uh, we can do try to steer clear of them. Yeah, yeah. But we do have a box office. It was two hundred ten thousand yen, or two hundred ten million yen. Um, which is roughly $2 million in U.S. dollars. So back then, that's pretty fucking good. Yeah, definitely not bad for 1964. Absolutely. No. That definitely made its money. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, that is um, 
that's basically I think from the first release in Japan. Um, I don't believe that includes the global release overall. Like, yeah, because they did yeah. release this later on. I think in '65 uh, in America. Uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. September twenty third. Yeah, September twenty third, sixty five was our was our release over here. Which, yeah. I mean, in all honesty, we're looking here for the yen for what was made over in Japan because that's where these films are made. And if they didn't make its money there, it wasn't making its money back. Then that means it wasn't going to have another one made. Plain and simple. Yeah, because uh, I got I got a lot of that information from uh, Wikizilla, and they have all that budget and all that fancy jazz stuff. Uh, and they basically compiled everything from the American release, the Japanese release, the Japanese re-release in the 70s. And they also included like sales, like VHS and home video sales. So it's not really, I kind of had to like pick it apart. Hey, um, you're the one crunching all these numbers for us here, which, hey, by the way, thank you, because you're doing a lot getting those done. And that's why you're the mastermind wizard for this. Yeah, so. Um, it's it's probably it might not be accurate, it, but it's pretty close. Hey, it's um, solid. As long as it's a solid number that we got pretty close to, I'd say we hit our mark. Yeah. So now that we're getting, we got our budget, we got everything wrapped. It is time for the kaiju rating of this, boys. This one is a bit of a is, is a bit of a banger, and we got some different opinions here. Well, we I think it's a general consensus. We all think it's pretty great. So, Cam, let me know out of ten what we looking like. Um, I'm gonna have to go with. Uh, Don't sugarcoat it. It can I'm be not, what it I'm is. Not, I'm gonna go with a seven out of ten. I'm gonna go with seven out of ten. Um, it's not that it's a bad film. It's the effects are a bit eh, hit or miss here and there. Um, then there's God. the human, the human yeah. part, which is not really that kind of takes you away from things. Um, it would be different if that was its own standalone thing. Mm-hmm. But when you intertwine it with Godzilla action, it yeah. kind of slows the Godzilla action. I so. agree. I'm going to hit it with the same rating as you on this one, man. I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you. Uh, I'm going to hit this with a seven myself. I think it was, you know, nothing, groundbreaking gave us a lot of first introduced us a new monster gave us Godzilla's big bad this is his debut but I think it kind of was a little bit hindered by the human aspect of it and it kind of dragged things a little bit longer than probably what it should have so last but not least Matt give me your give me your opinion here man what we got all right so I'm shooting I'm shooting a little bit higher than you guys I'm giving it a nine because I enjoyed I enjoyed the bit of human drama that was in it. I thought it added nice little spice to it. It did kind of feel like filler at some points, though, which I can understand. Uh, the only reason I'm not giving it a 10, because I really want to give this one a 10. But the only reason I don't want to give it a 10 is Godzilla looks so horrible. He Godzilla did. looked rough. Uh, Mothra could have looked better as a larva, not going to lie. She, yeah. she looked Old grotesque, which couch. makes sense. But like... I don't know. I feel like she. I feel like she could have looked a lot better. As I and said, she looks like an old automotive repair shop couch. That's what I'm saying. Like it, <laughs> she, she looked rough. Like like all the monsters except for Ghidorah looked just so rough. And Ghidorah looked amazing. Yeah. But the reason I'm going to shoot it at that nine and give it that high rating compared to your guys, I really enjoyed the fight scenes in this. Like it brought out what I imagined whenever. Cameron was first like, bro, we should we should watch the first Godzilla. Like, I was like, all right, I'm expecting some badass fight scenes and shit, you know, ignoring the time that it was made and stuff. 
this made me just it, it kind of reached out to me and was like this is the fighting that you were looking for this is what you have been preparing for this entire time this is the type of shit that led into fight scenes like pacific rim happening you know yeah and i, I thought it was really good well, that's awesome. I'm glad we got a good a good variety of, of viewpoints around on this film, and I think it deserves it. But I think that's going to be a nice little bow tie on Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. And now it is time, people, for the moment you've been waiting for. This is the this is the comic oh, portion. This what, is one more break, oh. though. One more. One You're right. You right. got to plug the merch, bro. What are you doing? I Cameron, can't help it. I'm so excited. Cameron, so show off the, the cup. You've got it right there, bro. Show it off. Show it off, man. Check, yeah, out yeah, yeah. Check out that merch. Check out that merch. Retro, retro Dubak Discussion Network merch. Absolutely. We had everything from masks, t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, Ooh. cups, magnets, Ooh. stickers, everything Ooh. that you fucking want. Man, it's vibing with it. Bro, 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 tone it down, man. I'm getting excited over here. <laughs> but on a real note, guys, head over to projectlouder.net. Go down to the merch tab, Public. Check it out. Get your comics and kaiju merch right now. We got the gimme the sauce, and we are providing the sauce for you. But the moment you've all been waiting for, actually, the comic oh, segment. Actually. We have one more. Oh, one more. Oh, oh. yes, one more. yes. I know. Uh, hmm. Why? I would like to shout out Symbiote Collectibles. It's a local uh, nerd shop. I'm just going to call it. They have everything from comic books vintage toys imported japanese toys original transformer toys original star trek 60s 70s 80s all different eras they have cop they have everything that you could imagine from like that you would want as a nerdy item they have it um they were oh, do they have nice. the items that you're looking for the life-size mothra sex doll Sadly, they do not. <laughs> it's got to be imported. Sadly, they do it's not. Got to be imported. All right, <laughs> but Cam, you got to yeah, we got to ask, man. Where's this at? What yeah, local place? Where's, where's that, man? You just said we'd provide right. the boss, bro. Hold on, hold your horses. It is down here, over in West Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, right here on Penn Avenue, they have a lot of good shit. Uh, please check them out. They were very nice. They had they were very helpful and because it was my first time being there in over five years. Super nice. Um, and we may even in the future uh, come down there and do some stuff in store. Who knows? Ooh. Maybe get maybe, maybe me and Austin need to get some plane tickets, bro. Yeah, maybe, maybe, we, maybe we got to go. Maybe, maybe a, a comic and kaiju boy. Everyone together showing. Maybe a good old Q&A for any listeners. Because they were very open to us, and they said, please come down and record. So um, maybe we'll have some famous actors or actresses coming from maybe like Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. Who knows? That's what might happen. <laughs> Who knows? Well, down into my bread and butter. We got, Let's get it. Let's get we it. Got, we got the first part of the title, the comic book section. Today, to... All right, I, I did kind of pull a low one on you guys. I did I did do a Vision comic. Had to hop on the hype train for WandaVision just releasing a few days ago. I was like, no, you know no. what? I saw the moment. I was like, let's latch on. All right, so we did Vision Volume 1, Little Worse Than a Man. It released in June 29th, 2016, at least the complete Volume 1 that we read on Comixology. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it was published by Marvel. 
It was 133 pages long. And now that I got the formalities out of the way. Just a quick shout out to anybody that wants to get this. This comic, Matt recommended this to us. It is on sale right now. So I highly recommend pick this up before it goes back off a sale. It's four fucking bucks for almost a 200 page. That's nice coffee. It's it's a very... Very Dude, good price. It's a for, steal, for, man. For four bucks for a damn good read. It, honestly, I don't know what you're waiting for. Absolutely, snag that before it's before it's off sale. Oh, oh, but don't leave us first. Come on, come on, check us out. So, this come and get the review to go get the book. Come and get the <laughs> review and then go get it and then judge for yourself. There will be spoilers in this. So, yeah, yeah spoiler warning if you want to go see it. If you want to read it, it first, relatively new. Yes, yeah, spoiler warning here and now, but. I got to admit, I'm not a huge Vision fan. I enjoyed the absolute shit out of this comic. It was amazing. It it really follows in detail kind of like Vision's thought process as well as his family's thought process, which we'll get to in a moment. moment. Um, the story kind of starts out with uh, Vision and his family moving to Washington, D.C. because Vision is working directly with the White House and the president. And he even makes like a joke about wanting to be put on the White House salary because the Avengers aren't paying all that great. I'm calling cap. I mean, Tony Stark leading it. You're not getting paid all that great. Anyway. <laughs> Got taxes, it, bro. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I guess. But it follows the storyline. Uh, it it kind of opens up where their neighbors are coming over to kind of give them housewarming gifts. Like, uh, two of the neighbors show up and they bring like a batch of cookies and they're arguing on the front doorsteps saying, I don't, I don't really think these guys are like real. They're just robots, you know, just they're, they're kind of throwing in some derogatory terms towards Vision and his family for not being human. And it's kind of cool seeing them kind of banter back and forth about, well, do they even eat cookies? Like, are did we just make this for no reason? These aren't even robots. Why are we over here? Like. What kind of formality is this if they're not even real people? And, you know, they kind of go in, they have their interaction. It does show that the family actually scoops the cookies into the trash can. We get an awesome look at some of the artifacts in Vision's house, which is really nice. So if you pick it up, there's a lot of like lore behind these artifacts. If you want to dive deep into this, it's amazing. Just a quick shout um, out. My, my favorite artifact was the Captain America lighter. Thought that was yes, really dope. Yes, dude, that, that was, was dope. so amazing. The, was what cool. he's talking about was Captain America's lighter that he used in Normandy on uh like during World War II. And he gave it to Vision as kind of like a keepsake memoir type thing going on, you know? And the comic, I mean, it, it kind of has like a slow drag to it at the beginning because when you when you begin reading it, you kind of think that it's just gonna be in you know, everyday life of vision and their family or vision and his family. And, you know, it follows his two kids, which are twins. I think it was Viv and Vic, right? Or no, Viv and Vin. It was Vin. Yeah. Viv and Vin. And his wife, Virginia, which, I mean, they kind of have like a weird thing going on because they're robots and they like the letter. They're v. very, they're very <laughs> logical. Like, like the thought process is very logical and by the numbers and not so emotional, but at the same time, their visions trying to preach acting more emotional and seeming more normal. And that's a very common theme throughout this is vision is trying so desperately for him and his family to just fit in, seem normal and live the quote unquote, like status quo life, you know? And 
uh, for instance, he sends his kids to school, even though they definitely don't need to go to high school. They are on whole other levels from everybody else on earth, just single-handedly, like one at a time, they'd be way better. But he wants to fit in. Oh, you want to say uh, the, the one thing I, I don't mean to cut off your rant, but the oh, one thing I did also want to I wanted to cut into is the, the way they 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 actively look. They could be whatever they want to be. They can look however they want to be, but they're all basically made in Vision's image and Vision's mm-hmm. color schemes. Mm-hmm. When I th- I just thought that was a very interesting thing to do, even though he's wanting them to look normal to fit in, he could have made that see, a reality. See, I I enjoy this because. Um, they do have the ability to change their appearance to seem like a normal person. Mm -hmm. But I like the fact that they don't want to like kind of hide who they are, you know, like they want to show everybody that, yeah, we're, we're synthesoids, but we're not like cold monsters or anything. We're robots. We're just like you, you know, we go to school, we study, we, we work hard. We go through emotional processes just like the rest of the humans, you know? And and I kind of like that message there that I do think it's strange that they would keep they have these blank expressionless eyes and i'm like well you why gotta, you gotta think it's they're scary. Eyes, you gotta think their eyes are like cameras but there is like a little bit of like symbolism that goes in with like some of their facial expressions that go as the comic progresses because as you guys have known since we've already read it there's the sort of prophecy that agatha figures out whenever she killed her cat and ate its stomach where she's like figuring out that vision is supposed to go off his hinges and this is the setup for all of it and why he goes off his hinges and threatens to destroy the world type level like madness. So I feel like there's a lot of symbolism in the way that the family kind of contorted their face at times. Like there was, there were these facial expressions, especially in the mother, like after grim reaper attacked where her mother would get these like facial expressions or they would repeat the same word over and over and get like really angry or like break stuff, you know? And I felt like there was really good symbolism behind that. And the artist did a great job showing the kind of scary vibe in their eyes. This this comic definitely portrays the fear of uh, artificial intelligence and becoming sentient and self-aware. It's very reminiscent of iRobot. Yes. Very reminiscent of that. And it's it's a very terrifying thought because it really is every day we're getting closer and closer to artificial intelligence. And it's fucking terrifying to think that this is actually possible. This is not going to do Boston Dynamics. Calm the fuck down. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's honest to God, like fear of, you know, robots becoming self-aware and they become, you know, a threat. Mm hmm. It's terrifying to think about. But in this comics, it's not quite the unprovoked threat. As I mentioned before, Grim Reaper attacks them while Vision is out. Uh, He breaks through a wall, cutting Viv straight through the stomach with a scythe. And he absolutely murks like the family. Like they're all fighting against him. And you'd think with them being, you know, vision level strength, vision level powers, vision level lasers, you know, that they'd be able to put up more of a fight. But the, like, surprise of him attacking really got them. And Viv was immediately disabled at, like, the beginning of the fight. Uh, Vin got his arm cut, and he was, like, really shocked about it. Because you got to think, Viv and Vin are very young. Like, they're portrayed as teenagers. 
but they're very young in creation. So they're not used to this kind of interaction. They're not used to this battle being engaged. So they lack combat experience. Exactly. They lack combat experience. So their computers just kind of seize and they're like, what do we do? Like kind of like how humans feel shock. And in that moment, the mother like starts to express like raw motherly type emotions and just attacks Grim Reaper out of just pure malice and hatred instead of how cool and calculated they're supposed to be. And this single interaction between Grim Reaper attacking them, basically saying, you're not real. You know, you're stop pretending like you're one of us. You're not real. That type of interaction it feels like the spark that ignites the flames for the rest of this story arc to accelerate. It was definitely a crack in the facade. It, it, it really did. It really was. Because it, after after this, you see the, uh, the mother change like her her. Oh, she changed came. drastically, oh, dude. Very she changed much so. a lot after this. And, and we could we could talk the whole episode about like the type of stuff that she just kind of transitioned. That's a into. that's a whole mental road. Yeah, dude. Go down to that. Oh, yeah. and it was and they did such a great job portraying it. But this was the first interaction where you see something really negative happen because otherwise you just kind of see that, you know, they're used to getting tossed these casual glances like, really? Or like uh, the common like shit talkery of their neighbors and people at school and stuff like that. And it kind of continues. Uh, Vision gets back. You know, of course, he's wondering what happened. and. Uh, the mother just kind of lies to him. He's like, she's like, Grim Reaper attacked. Uh, I retaliated, except she told a different version of it where she cool and calculated attacked him and he fled instead of her lashing out on him and killing him and burying him in the backyard. And this is the first time that you really see that they're willing to lie. And Vision, of course, believes her. And he's like, well, I understand, you know, and they're starting to fix on Viv and Vin is going back to school. And Vin is obviously tore up about it. Like when he's sitting at that lunch table and he's just all he's thinking about is a sister and his sister's uh, chemistry lab partner comes up and he's like, hey, where's your sister? I, I need help with the schoolwork that we had planned. Like, I don't have any way to get a hold of her. Do you have a number? And he just kept repeating. She's ill. She's ill. She's ill. And the the dude, you know, starts talking shit, basically saying that he's, you know, he, I forget the exact terms he said, but he was basically insulting him and saying that, like, he could pull the number out of his metallic ass and shit like that. And he just kind of lashes out and, like, crushes the apple in his hand. And then in his inner monologue, he's talking about how humans are just like computers. And he, like, picks the, the kid up by the throat and like goes into detail about the artery that he could just clamp on and it would just kill him or as he called it turn him off like a computer and he just chokes him out until he passes out drops him and just walks out the school and to me i felt like that was a scene that was much needed because it showed like them getting bullied at school it showed that people weren't treating them like normal robots plus the shock of what he just witnessed literally the day prior it was crazy to see him just step, 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 change and attack a kid at school. Whereas previously he just wanted to fit in and be normal and make friends. And I thought it was really cool. What'd you guys think about these scenes? It, it brought a lot of life to this character instead of them 
being this cool calculated machine like i said earlier with the attack it cracked the facade and this is just showing more of those cracks starting to form and more of the effects of what happened are starting to bleed through you're starting to get more of an idea of what they're dealing with Mm -hmm. uh you know in their day-to-day routine it's not all sunshine and rainbows it's not all lollipops and gumdrops things are are bad and they're getting worse by the day and him doing what he did it was just showing that he doesn't know how to compartmentalize that feeling or that emotion because not only does he lack combat experience he lacks life experience you Mm -hmm. can't learn that you have to go through that and he's Mm -hmm. going through that he doesn't know how to handle it so instead of walking away or calming down and letting it go he lashes out and that's all he knows how to do at that time absolutely and one thing i do got to appreciate about this comic is the animators did a really good job like a really good job uh showing the different family members phasing through stuff like the art for when they phase through stuff, because it looks just normal, but the way that they phase through stuff, it just looks so cool when you're reading it on the panel. Like uh, during the sex scene with Virginia and Vision, when she's just walking and she just phases the panties off, and they're like, like they're like going through partially through her ankle and stuff. And I, I just thought it was really cool how they just showed how often they kind of phase through things instead casually of casually use their power. Yeah. Yeah. They just casually. Door. Yeah. Instead of opening yeah. a door, they just phase through the door, you know, yeah, like, just- so, so there's a lot of psychoanalyzing in the mm-hmm. story. There's a lot of psychological. Uh, there really is. It, it kind of brings me back to when we reviewed parallel, like just the amount of like deep psychology is in this. It's, it's not like they just suddenly snap. It, this is a gradual like breakdown of their psyche and, and it's just a big heads up to our listeners real quick uh if you're looking for something with a lot of action in it this is not this is a slow burn to a story arc that will have a lot of action into it this is all so. set up but continue cameron yeah so there's a lot of over time you see shit happens to the vision family and you see this affect them emotionally which is weird because they're robots yet they still have some sort of feeling or emotion um because i think at some point in the comic uh him and iron man they uh they're trying to bring back uh viv and that's a very good scene and tony says hey you might want to turn off your pain sensors and i was like he has that. He can just turn that shit off. He can just turn it off whenever he wanted to. Yeah. But he so didn't. Which is really cool to find out knowing that in any of Vision's fights, he could have just turned off his pain sensors and just fucking destroyed whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, he, you see him, he wants to be human. He wants his family to be human. He wants them to fit in. Yeah. But society doesn't isn't ready for that society Mm -hmm. can't seem to accept them and they lash out because of it um and it's not it's not like society is 100 percent rejecting them Mm -hmm. it's that there's a few small things here and there sprinkled throughout the story that affects affects them mentally 
and they just start to break down and lash out and it, it it's not really their fault but it's not also they didn't do too much to really stop it either when they could have yeah it's not really the 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 vision's fault uh but yet at the same time it's not any specific person's fault mm-hmm. um sure i guess you could say that the grim reaper basically was the catalyst to launch this into a downward spiral oh definitely but it's it's just being through daily life that affects them mm-hmm. it's not like there's anything totally dramatic they they have a what's the word i'm looking for they have a specific way of going about it. it's very illogical to them they want everything to be logical they want everything to be kind of like a computer you know mm-hmm. um, they want a system for everything and they expect it to go by that system and when it doesn't go by that system they try to bypass that and that causes whomever to get angry and lash out at them and then that causes them to lash out back so it's kind of like an endless cycle where they themselves aren't capable of fitting in because it's just them yeah no <laughs> no that's a good take <laughs> really is. Like, I'm I'm really deep into there no no that was a good dive that was a, that was a good take man for sure absolutely uh Speaking of, we've kind of, you know, given the full synopsis of what's kind of going on. This is all just set up to the prophecy that Agatha figured out where Vision is going to go corrupt and, you know, threaten to basically destroy the world in madness. Let's kind of dive into who our favorite characters were real quick before we get to a favorite panel. Austin, who is your favorite character, man? I'm going to be honest with you, Virginia. Seeing that crack of her facade and watching that spiral was a lot of change in a very short time span. And I mean, honestly, vision's the main character here, but his family is also in charge. You know, they're also front and center and we're learning about them. And Virginia's kind of almost psychotic descent. Like after she cracked and she took out Grim Reaper the way she did, it's like ever since then, it's like she kind of has no bars left holding her back. She's more free of that constraint of I need to fit, but she's like, I can still fit and do what I want. If I don't show it, I I could definitely understand that to further elaborate on that guys in the comic, whenever she's saying that she's fine and she's saying she do, she's doing great. If you pay attention to the panels, you can see in the background, the house is in shambles. She's destroyed the table. She's punched walls. She's breaking basically the foundations of this home, but she's still trying to put on the facade. She's still trying to maintain the facade of everything is fine. Everything is good. We're a happy family. Yeah. That, uh, also like shout out to that poor fucking dog. <laughs> oh, oh, hold so. up, hold up. So, so, so I, I'm going to touch on the dog here in a moment, all right? Because Ooh. that has to do with my favorite panel, but we'll get to that in a moment. My favorite character was honestly the uh, the kid that bullied Vin. Or, or like, not really, he didn't try to bully him at first, but he ended up bullying him and then got choked out. I liked his character because for the brief time that we saw him, he went through kind of this huge leap in character development. So what I really think happened was he had a crush on her. He had a crush on Viv and 
they worked together in chemistry lab and they were partners and he was worried that she was gone and he was trying to get her number from her brother so he could get in contact with her and figure it out. And, you know, ended up taking it too far and then Viv or Vin attacked him. But then in the next scene, when Viv comes back to school, we see that they have that dialogue where he comes up to her and he was like, hey, I didn't mean anything. Like he was like, it, it just escalated too far. Like, I, I'm not mad at your brother. I hope he's not mad at me type thing. And he's like, I would really like it if we kept in contact because you're really cool. And like, he's just talking to her and, you know, it goes in her uh, point of view where she's like, yeah, I'm going to she kind of keeps this memory forever because it was the first time anybody had ever called her cool. It was the first time anybody like genuinely went out of their way to talk to her in school other than, wow, you're weird. You know, she finally got positive feedback and positive reinforcement. Yeah. And, and because of that, I really liked that guy. Cause it was, it was very big character development. And I hope, choice. I hope that memory plays a bigger role down the road in this story arc. I haven't read this whole story arc yet, but I hope it plays a bigger role down the road. Cameron, what was your favorite character, man? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to go with. See, I originally was gonna choose uh, Virginia, mm-hmm. but I really like the emotional uh, process, or yeah, process um, that Viv goes through um, because she is basically. Um, I guess would be the love side of things. She is very down to earth, very peaceful. She doesn't really lash out. She never lashes out at anybody. And when that kid um, tells her that she's cool, um, she, as you said, remembers that scene and she plays it over and over in her mind. Um, and then when he dies, she basically breaks down because she really liked this guy. Um, and she takes the page that has his face in the yearbook, takes it out and she keeps it. And she quotes, um, his yearbook quote, um, to his fam to her family when they were having his huge argument yeah. and she, I don't think, I think she's the only one. Well, Virginia does cry a bit, but Viv like has a full down, like full, like breakdown and she cries and she suffers. She is the one that's suffering throughout this comic. Yeah. Out of the entire family. She seems a lot more like the heart of the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's, I like to see a lot. I think she is going to be in other, uh, volumes. She's going to be the one, the good, she's going to be the one that's going to, I think, stop things from getting out of control. I could definitely understand that. I mean, I've read comics that take place in different points in time in the Marvel universe and Viv is very powerful from what I've seen, but she's going to be the peacekeeper. Yeah, but most of the comics I've read with her in, she's been kind of a side character, so I'm pretty sure they've even nerfed well, her. Well, I kind of hope that's not how it's going to be. Uh, hey, hopefully. But we'll just have to to read the other uh, issues now, won't we? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So now that we got the favorite character out of the way, I kind of want to lead into the favorite panel. Now, my favorite panel was, you know, after the dog found Grim Reaper's body and the dog dies getting electrocuted. Uh when 
Vision was just cool and collective with the apron on and he had the bone saw and he was cutting the skull of the dog and taking out the brain. That panel, I thought, like the first time I saw that panel, the only thing I could think of was Dexter because the camera angle that they showed him, they didn't show that it was the dog. So it could have been anybody at that point. It could have been Grim Reaper that he was cutting up. Subverting expectations kind of thing. Yeah. And like he was just sawing in and like it shows the blood all over his like shirt, all over the apron. Even I think I think there's even blood that got on his face. And mm-hmm. it was very to me, it was very reminiscent of Dexter because there were a lot of scenes in Dexter where there's a lot of spray from the blood coming into his face and on his mm-hmm. apron that he wore. But to further elaborate on this panel, he takes the dog's brain out and creates a synthesoid version of the dog. And to me, whenever I saw the synthesoid version of the dog, my fucking heart dropped because I immediately thought of Blade Runner, which I don't know if you guys have seen that, but that talks about humans being replaced by robots. Well, if he just took the dog's brain out, analyzed the dog's brain, and what's to stop him from taking the neighbor's brain out, analyzing the neighbor's brain, and, you know, it's just... (laughs) Upgrades, people, upgrades. (laughs) Upgrades, people, upgrades, you know? But to me... To me, that was just such a scary scene, even though it was meant to be a lighthearted scene because he's presenting his family with a dog as a reward for all the emotional trauma and troubles that they've gone through. It was really, to me, it was a very terrifying scene because it's, well, if he knows how to just do this, then why, what is really stopping him from just doing it, you know? To to Vision, what he's doing is a act of mercy. He is saving that dog from death because the Mm -hmm. the dog's body is dead after that. The the shot killed the the animal. So he's like, oh, I'm going to mercifully take this dog's brain and give him a new body, give him a new life. But in reality to us, it's like, what's stopping him from doing that to anyone? Exactly. Exactly. That's a terrifying thing. And, And to me, that's why that panel really stuck out the most just because of how terrifying it really was. That's understandable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it really was, man. What about you, Austin? What was your favorite panel? I'm going to be honest. My favorite panel was uh, Grim Reaper's attack. I re- That really caught me out of left field. <laughs> I, I, to me, I judge my favorite panel on how I react to it while I'm reading it. And if, if I'm reading a comic and I'm flipping through and I see something that physically gets a, a facial reaction out of me, whether it be a raising an eyebrow or like a damn or anything, then to me, that is a hundred percent might going to be my favorite. Now, mm-hmm. trust me, the dog thing that got me, it, it did, but grim reaper just coming out of bum fuck nowhere and just straight up, you know, dude, breaking sh- through a wall, just shanking, straight up shanking Viv and nearly cutting her in half. Like I just was completely thrown away by that because I just, I'm sitting here like, Oh, I mean, they're just having a normal conversation in the kitchen, you know, fucking Kool-Aid man of death comes through the wall, <laughs> stabs my daughter in the gut. And then Virginia, instead of just like, I like you cut G n- knocks this dude. <laughs> And he's fucking dead. I was not yeah. ready for it. No, dude. I it wasn't was ready for all of that at one time. And it was, it was shocking. It was a very fast-paced, short battle. Yeah. And I mean, that's like what you said about this being a slow burn. The action that's in it, to me, I feel is good quality action. Granted, it might not be in high quantities. But the way it alters the stories and the way it affects the storyline and the way it bring it uh, affects the plot, mm-hmm. it... It was quality of what was needed, and I really enjoyed it. It was short, sweet, 
to the point and enough of a shock factor to kind of be like these ultimate, you know, phasing unstoppable beings are not so unstoppable as they think they may be. Oh, exactly. It, it definitely was a culture shock to them, kind of telling them that, hey, just because you can phase through literally anything, it, it was basically like phase through this bitch. Like, Essentially. <laughs> but so I Cameron, mean, yes. So I was going to go with the, uh, the whole fight scene with Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. It's good. <laughs> it's but a good that didn't, didn't give me an audible reaction. I had an audible reaction at the very last panel. Yeah, the last panel was good. The last <laughs> it was very good. I, I flipped the page and I went, oh my fucking God. <laughs> uh, of her, of uh, Agatha revealing what vi- what's going to happen to Vision to the entire Avengers team mm-hmm. blew my fucking mind. Because I'm oh, like, yeah. I got to check out the because, next series. Because it really yeah. tells you just the scale of what this story arc is going to encompass. I mean, you see Spider-Man in the background. You see Iron Man headlining this. You see Thor. You see all these main Avengers being warned about Vision. And you're like, oh, hold up. Uh-oh. Hold up. <laughs> this might be a bit of a problem. This is about to be a superhero mesh, and I'm excited. <laughs> it, it just... It was so fucking cool. It was yeah, so cool. No, exactly, man. Like I said, it's just the scale of things. It really puts it into perspective just how big, large scale vision would be against. And correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the uh, the narration throughout the story that's Agatha, correct? The, um, the the red boxes, the red boxes, the red text boxes. I believe that's Agatha. Is it red um, text boxes or purple? It's they're purple. like a they're like a, a, a maroon or a crimson. Honestly. It's purple. Those are Agatha. Yeah, yeah. I was going to okay. say I I was fairly certain I was reading that correctly because I was reading that through that being through Agatha's narr- narration. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping I was reading that right. So if it would have been one of the Vision family, it would have been a yellow text, yellow box. or green or something like that. Because Vision yeah. spoke in like a yellowish green text mm-hmm. when it was like th- through his mental narration. It's okay. So glad we got that established. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that 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 was a a big twist at the end there. Oh, it definitely I was, was blown away by that, and I'm like, oh my god, I gotta check out these next uh, couple of issues now. So let's get into the fucking rating of this comic book. Now I'm gonna save my rating for last because I'm curious as to what you guys' ratings are. Austin, go ahead and take it away with the rating, bro. Well, I'm uh, I'm not gonna lie. Just like what me and Cameron both said at the beginning. Not Vision fans. Uh, I, you know, as, as a character, I think Vision's fine. I think he's a good character. He's a great design, all that other stuff. But he was just never my personal cup of tea growing up and getting into comics. I never really collected any of his comic issues. So for me, this was kind of like, I know about Vision. I know how he was created. I know his powers. I know what he looks like, yada, yada, yada. I got that. I did my research and I've always known what it was. But I've never read any of his stories this was my first touch of vision, my first look into vision. Oh, and you had it, to do the fun, didn't you? Yeah, I had to. <laughs> Wouldn't fucking sue me. I, yeah, I, yeah, right. I couldn't <laughs> help but to go into this with low expectations because it's he's not my personal choice for a superhero. So I brought in low expectations to just kind of be like, you know, it, if it sucks, then oh well, I wasn't, I, I'm not wasting my time. 
This went above that expectation by a good bit because I really, honestly, I was reading it. I, I stopped and had some dinner and came back and read the rest of it. And I'm glad I had to, st- I stopped myself because I was getting into like, just getting a little mundane, getting a little slow after, you know, the whole thing with Grim Reaper attacking. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then next thing you know, this starts picking up. It starts getting interesting. Things Hold start up. happening. Hold up in the comment section. Hold up, guys. Hold the fucking phone. Guys, in the comment section, someone's got a hot take for us. Alexander, I'm not going to attempt that last name. Doomsday Clock is fucking garbage and no one should read it or like it. All right. Hold up. <laughs> hold up. Now he's saying Doomsday Clock shouldn't be canon. For one, this That's is Marvel. We're, we're talking. We're talking Marvel here. This is DC, bud. Uh, for two, how you gonna shit on Doctor Manhattan like that, bro? Doomsday Clock was one of the Watchmen's best story arcs. Let me let me ask you this, Alexander. Who in the Watchmen hurt you? Who was it? Did the was comedian, comedian? Was did the comedian, comedian try to rape you like he did? You know, uh, or you know, you know. Uh, I don't know about the movie, so I don't have any say in this conversation. Now look. Oh, look. now he's saying oh, no. uh, so we just found a troll. So we just found a troll. Oh so no. We just found a troll. Marvel sucks. So, so so I do think the comedian did touch him in his no no square. Sorry, Alexander. <laughs> you hate Marvel, but then you hate DC? Oh, Jeff John hurt me. Okay, but like Listen, okay, so you don't like Marvel. Bad, but what about Flashpoint? What about you Flashpoint? You don't like Marvel. You don't. You're apparently dicking on, you know, DC. So no, explain no, no. to me what 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 do you like? What is your <laughs> taste? What is your forte? Is it Dark Horse? If so, I mean, hey, good 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 choice. I mean, yeah, if you like Dark Horse, you claim you're not a troll. Go ahead, tell no, us. Tell man, us. What man, is your golden? Let the man speak. Comic. So. I people have their preferences. Some people like DC. Some people like Marvel. It's been a rival thing since the fucking since they were born. Their inception, yeah. Since their inception, um, some people like uh the new Mar uh the new DC's nitty gritty you know dark version. Um, some people like the the lighthearted DC from like back in the fifties and sixties. Um. <laughs> Hmm. See now, I'm not a huge fan of the the HBO Watchmen. I I I, on, I couldn't get into it. I watched two episodes. I haven't seen but it, so he is saying Dark I have no Horse help is pretty here. good. So hey, so, Dark, I mean, Dark Horse is pretty good. I I mean, dude, if you ever get a chance to read some of their Alien and Predators shit, it's honestly really dope. They, their comics are awesome, and they did a fantastic yes, job on good. Star Wars. Are, oh, dude, they oh, blew the water out. But we'll get on that uh, stuff on another time. So, Cameron, what was your yeah. rating for this comic, man? Um, I'm gonna go with a. I'm gonna go with an eight. I'm gonna go with an eight. Um, eight out of ten because the the story is very very good. It's very good, but for a lot of people that are wanting action, they're not gonna get it. Also, the story is very slow. If you can sit through that and stomach that, you will find a very, very good comic. Probably one of one of the best comics out there, because um, I love a lot of the psychological 
the breakdowns and analyzing all that stuff. I really enjoy like analyzing that stuff. But being as it's slow and not a lot of action, it's going to turn a lot of people away. Um, but in the end, it's a great story. And if you can sit through a, a slow story like this, I think, I think as you guys said, a slow burn, um, you will really enjoy this comic. Like I said, first introduction division for you and me both. And I mean, in yeah, all honesty, it's not a bad introduction to a character, especially for you and me. We can both contest our first introduction, and it's not bad. It was a good taste. Well, first introduction in comic form. I mean, I saw him in Age of Ultron, um, which I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. Uh, good guy robot, yeah? Um, but it's cool to see a darker side. And Show how, really, much, how bad he really can be. If he gets let out of control. I really enjoyed that. Real quick before I give my rating, uh, I'm reading Alexander's comments right now. I'm pinning one on here. It says Marvel ruined comics and movies. That is why I hate them. And DC has it. You got to explain a little bit better. I'm more of a DC boy, as you can see. Sorry. As you can see, I've got my Wonder Woman 84. I've got my Batman. I've got... I'm more of a DC guy. But... I have always loved Marvel comics. I don't feel like they've ruined their comics. Uh, I do feel like the MCU is too milked in my opinion. And I'm not really a big fan of the Marvel animation that we've seen so far. So as far I, as that's going, I can understand that. His, that comment, that comment you just said right there, Alexander, I, 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 I can agree with that. Yeah. Superheroes I, I, should be dark and disturbing and not political and realistic. I, I, I respect I like, that opinion. Me, honestly, I per- keep politics out of comics. It's just that simple. Yeah. It's the same principle with like TV shows. TV shows and video games and comics and things along those natures, those are our escape from reality. We mm-hmm. shouldn't, I do not want to read a comic of what gender role Spider Man wants to be. That, that I, I don't give a shit. That's not what I read this comic for. I be bisexual in the new movie. No, I, I don't give a shit. He shouldn't I have care to do about that. Seeing, give a fuck. <laughs> I, I can't, what I care about seeing is Peter Parker. I care about a character that has trials and tribulations and issues that I experience. Like, you know, I, I, I battle depression. Spider-Man battles depression and failure and rising above it and learning and growing and being a better person. And then if he moves forward and he teaches Miles that is what it can go into. But instead, Miles has handed all of his abilities. He's handed his suit. He's handed his life. He's handed everything. And he doesn't earn it like Peter does. Peter this, goes through all of it. This uh, this next comment from Alexander, uh, I do agree with. Comics are subjective. Like, for me, listen, I think Spider-Man is, well, Spider-Man is my favorite uh, superhero. <laughs> he just said trash. Oh, he just said Spider Man's trash. Oh my Which, god! Everybody's entitled <laughs> to their own opinion. Fair. I mean, yeah, that's fair. Just Some like people, he said, comics are subjective. Just like opinions are subjective. That's, that's just totally like true, man. That's totally true. Um, everybody has their own opinions. Some people like dark, gritty, very realistic, and political com uh, comics, like you. And then there's other people that really like 
very fantasy, very because what you can do with what, what the power of comics have is you are able to show and tell a story about something that could not happen in real life. And a lot of people want that super flashy, uh, you know, they want Spider-Man saving your, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man swinging throughout New York City and saving people. And saving people from like small robberies and stuff like that. Or you want to see him fight the Green Goblin and Doc Ock and all these cool characters. Uh, man, he's you- really riding this Doomsday Clock train. I mean, I'm let's, just saying, man, we haven't even mentioned Doomsday Clock period until you brought it let's, up. Let's just, let's just wrap up this little <laughs> segment here with just saying that comics can be a form of something based in reality and helping you to cope with things going on around you. Or it can be a sense of escapism that can help you escape that reality and Mm -hmm. be able to still project yourself in that, but also escape the problems you have around you. It's like film. Just like film. There's a lot of people that really like political films that are based on a true story or something that could happen. Or there's people like me that like to see a giant fucking 50 meter monster destroy town. I like that (laughs) shit. Absolutely. But uh, back to our rating, though, because we've kind of dove deep into this one. Back to our rating, though. Austin, did you give your rating? Eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. Yeah, I'm with Cam on this one. You're with Cameron on that eight out of ten. So for this comic, for this comic, I I really am. I can't help but check out the (laughs) comment section, okay? Because this guy's really riding the fucking doomsday clock train. But but anyway, my rating on this comic, uh, it's a solid nine. If you if you're deep into comics and you like a lot of lore, a lot of buildup, a lot of less less spotlighted like characters, like less appreciated characters getting some just straight up attention. This is for you. Like I said, when you first get into uh, the inside of Vision's house, there it breaks down all of the artifacts that he's collected and that has been given to him. Like, as we said, Captain America's lighter. It's just a lot of lore and story building that's going to launch this entire arc past what we've read so far so for me like i said a a nine out of ten like not the best comic book ever but like it's it's a solid read especially if you're deep into the comics for sure yeah i agree honestly boys i gotta say you know this this is uh this was a good one It, it had a lot of a lot of good points i think we dove into both of our segments and very oh, good light on both sides you know got to give a shout out uh you know matt you did a banger on picking this on this comic like i said me and cameron both have not been exposed to vision at all up until this point so mm-hmm. it was definitely a nice little treat for both of us to kind of get a chance to be exposed to this for the very first time and then you know cam I got to give it to you, man. Ghidorah, Three-Headed Monster. It's a classic, good choice, good introduction to someone we're going to see a lot more in the future. So o- overall, a wonderful, wonderful episode. I'm not going to lie. I am really tempted to just have us review Doomsday Clock just to well, score in this. This is fucking true. Well, let's, just take a look. let's take a look at the list. Let's take a look at the list. And maybe, <laughs> maybe. We well, can this, this could be a talk for another time. Yeah. But as always, Comics and Kaiju ends with a shot of tequila. Thank you.